Lots to cover tonight. It should be a fun night. Uh, I went ahead and drew a picture, and Laurie thought even further ahead than that, and so she's giving you a handout, so you'll just have to write a few things in. You don't have to try to copy this whole thing down, as we've had to do in years past. Yeah, good job, honey. Anything else before I pray that we need to... Oh, next week? I, I really don't care who wins. I hope it's a good game. I hope you watch it with friends or family, but we will not be having class. I am not competing with the Super Bowl. Uh, so next week is the Super Bowl. Enjoy it. But next Sunday night, we are not meeting. Not meeting. Uh, the week after that, we'll do... We'll do, we'll do another lesson in Exodus. Okay, good, good. Exodus. Let me pray for us. Oh, Father, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. I thank you for the way it reveals who you are, it reveals who we are, and the lifestyle that you continue to invite us into. Uh, we love you. We thank you for your word and pray your spirit would lead us and guide us tonight into your word. And may getting a hold of that change how we think, change our values, change our behavior, all please from the inside out. We pray you do that for your glory and for our good. And we pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. What are we on? Oh, yeah. Okay. Exodus. So I've told you the one word on the book of Exodus is? Redemption. Good. Okay. Uh, if you've seen this before, this is a little bit, maybe a little bit cleaner, clearer chart uh, than we've had in the past. I've, I've just kind of hurriedly scratched one up before, but I actually took my time. Yes, this is mine. Yes, I did this. Thank you. Uh, but this hopefully is going to give you a big picture of what's going on through, actually it's through the whole uh, Pentateuch. Actually, if you want to go further, it's, this is the story of the Hexateuch. What's the Hexateuch, you ask? Thank you very much. That includes the book of Joshua. Pentateuch stops, Deuteronomy, next book is Joshua. So if you add in Joshua, there's the Hexateuch. And this is sort of the summary of the Hexateuch. Okay, so we have, we've covered the children of Israel have gone down into Egypt and they've waited there until God raised up Moses, their deliverer. Moses got the word from God that they were to apply blood over their doorpost and on the night of the Passover, God would pass over any dwelling, Hebrew dwelling, with this, with the blood on the doorpost, he would take them out of Egypt. Remember we talked about that a couple of lessons ago. Last week we looked at the obstacles Israel encountered. And one of the first obstacles was the Red Sea. I know I made it look like a river, but yeah, just deal with it. It's a body of water. From there, he took them into the wilderness to test them and to know what was in their heart. And so if you were, you know, if you're drawing this, they, they go into the wilderness. And tonight, they've come to Mount Sinai. 
After they hit Mount Sinai, they're going to go to, uh, they're going to be camped at the base of Mount Sinai for about a year, and they're going to get instructions on how to build the tabernacle. From here, then the book of Numbers happens in the book of Deuteronomy, and they wind up finally, and yes, I know they come around this way, they enter the promised land this way, but they're going to eventually come to the promised land. This is sort of the geographical description of the Hexateuch. So we start in Egypt, we cross the Red Sea, we go into the wilderness and face some obstacles, God takes us to the mountain, then he tells us, build me a tabernacle, some disobedience happens in the book of Numbers, which doesn't go well for them, and 40 years later they finally enter the promised land. This is where they're headed. So far, so good? Okay. Let's put some theology to this. I'm under Pharaoh in Egypt, and as we've talked two lessons ago, and this is why the book of Exodus, this word is redemption. Whoops, that's an N, not an M. The book of redemption. Why? Because God told them how to escape judgment. So it is by grace. God told them what to do. And he said, if you will put your faith in me and put blood on the door, you will leave Egypt by grace, through faith, under blood. And we talked about how similar that should sound to you today. They left Egypt redeemed. You and I would say they got saved. Different, because they didn't trust in Jesus, got it. They didn't understand the lamb. They used the blood of a lamb, which is what God told them by picture. But they left by grace, through faith, under blood. These are redeemed people Who leave Egypt. Israel is a redeemed people who leave Egypt. This is so crucial for you to understand because without it, you won't understand what happens at Mount Sinai. These are redeemed people. What what happens to these redeemed people? God takes them through the Red Sea. Interestingly enough, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, Israel was baptized in the Red Sea. They didn't get wet. (laughs) But Paul says they were all baptized in the Red Sea. Huh, that's kooky, isn't it? (laughs) So let's say they would never have said these words, but let's say they got saved. What's the next thing they did? They got baptized. They get baptized. They go out. God leads them into the wilderness to test them and to know what was in their heart. Remember that from Exodus chapter 18. What did he find out about their hearts? (laughs) Fearful, hard, 
frightened uh, or, or um, anxious. I mean, they were just, they were all worked up over, over things. Why? Because they didn't trust him even after they'd seen this and participated in this. And here they are, and they're still, ah, they don't know what to do. And so he brings them out of bondage, right? He frees them, but then he puts them back under law. You ever thought about that? They're free. He's just freed them. And he says, hey, congratulations, you're free. By the way, I'm going to smack this law on top of you to put you back under bondage. You ever thought about this? Huh. Maybe that's not quite what's going on here. Later, they're going to build a tabernacle because why? Exodus chapter 40. If you've been in class before, you know how big Exodus chapter 40 is. Exodus chapter 40, God comes to dwell with his people. Some disobedience happens. They finally get to the promised land, which is where they've been aiming since Genesis 12. If you've been with us since September, remember we talked about Genesis 12. God's going to give three things to Abraham and his people. Land, seed, and blessing. Remember? Three things. Land, seed, blessing. Have they got the land yet? No. When they leave Egypt, where are they headed? They're going to the land. This is where they're aiming. Okay. What does God do here? He adopts them. Huh. So he redeems them. He, he takes them out of Pharaoh's control by grace through faith under blood. They get baptized. He takes them in the wilderness to find out if they're ready to walk with him yet. He discovers, uh, he doesn't discover it, but he helps them discover they're not ready for this. And so he says, here's my law. They go through a whole covenant ceremony to become his adopted people, he says, now I want you to build a tabernacle and a whole camp where I'm going to be in the center so that we can have fellowship together because I'm a holy God and you're a sinful people and I can't really even walk around your camp unless I'm, you know, I might wind up killing somebody because of the unholiness. And so he tells them how to build their whole camp So that he can come dwell with them. Exodus chapter 40. He comes down in the pillar of cloud and the pillar of fire. and He's in the tabernacle. So God dwells with his people. Where is he taking them? To their inheritance. Who should expect an inheritance? An adopted child should expect an inheritance, and indeed, that's what he, she, and they are going to receive. They're going to receive an inheritance. Now, I just want you to pull back for a second and say, are you kidding me? 
this is a picture of what happens to us in the New Testament, tucked away in the Old Testament, in the hexateuch. That if you just take the big sweeping picture of what God is painting for you, he says, yeah, look, I redeem people from a Pharaoh. How do I do it? By grace, comes from me, starts from me, through faith, they got to believe me, and they got to come out under blood. When they come out, they're redeemed. Guess what? They didn't get wet, but for all intents and purposes, they got baptized. That's what Paul says. I didn't make that up. First Corinthians 10. They get baptized. He takes them in the wilderness and says, hey, how, how, how am I looking to you now? Oh, we're not so happy with this manna, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He goes, you know what you need? You need some instruction. Now, I'm going to adopt you, but if I'm going to adopt you, what do I have to train you up to be? Like me. Does that sound at all familiar to you? When you first trusted Christ, were you like Jesus? Your answer should be no. (laughs) Why did he adopt you? To make you and me like his son, Jesus. So what? I want to have fellowship with you, Bill. We can't just do that any way you want. We, we got to do it my way because I got an inheritance for you and I want to give it to you and I want to give it all to you. Is this amazing? If you don't think this is amazing, there's the door. Go on. Go on. <laughs> this is mind-blowing stuff. Now, there's more. We're going to keep building on this picture because you're like, no, there can't be any more. Oh, there's more. But it'll be a few books from now. Just start getting this into your head. Because here's here's why this is so important. You would think he's freed them to come out of Egypt. Now, if you're a person, if you're a Hebrew and you've just come out of Egypt from under Pharaoh and under slavery, what means freedom to you? Living any way I want to live. Right? Ask our culture today. What does freedom mean? Living any way I want to live. What does God say? That's not freedom. Freedom is found in obeying my word. Somebody else said that. Remember those, some of those red words in the New Testament? You will know the truth. And the truth will. Why would Jesus say that? He's already already painted these pictures before for his people. My people, freedom is not living any way you want to live. It's obeying my word. That's where true freedom and fulfillment is found. And so he has to take them out here to show them they don't know what they're doing or what they're talking about. And he says, I want to help you. I want you to obey. I'm going to adopt you. I want you to obey. Let's have fellowship. And I've got this unbelievable inheritance for you that I want to give you. 
so surprising that we have the same, the same principles taught in the New Testament. We just finally and fully get to see them because of the finished work of the Lord Jesus. But he's put these pictures back here to say, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I've never changed. This is always who I've been and how I've gone about doing things. But you know a lot more with the coming of Jesus. Amazing stuff, at least to me. Fun, fun, fun stuff. Okay, now, let's get back to the lesson. So hopefully you got to draw in your picture, and it didn't give you writer's cramp. Okay, Whew. good stuff. Okay, so our story so far, the people have been redeemed from Egypt through faith and under sacrificial blood. They've come to Mount Sinai. Why Mount Sinai? Because that's where Moses fled after he had killed the Egyptian. Remember, he went to Midian. In Midian, he ran into Mount Sinai, and he met God in a burning bush. And God said, I'm sending you, go back to Egypt, and bring the people back here. Remember he said that? Remember in this class, you're not allowed to forget anything. Okay. Now God's going to formalize the terms, principles, and blessings that will characterize their ongoing relationship. He does that with what's called the Mosaic Covenant. Short, the law. The law. After he says, these are the terms, etc., 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 he's going to ask Israel for their commitment. I want your commitment, Israel. This is what I'm prepared to do. You have to say yes. Once you say yes, the covenant will be formalized, and we will step forward in this relationship defined by these terms. So that's what these chapters are about. The redeemed people have come to Mount Sinai. Now, if I'm you, I'm saying, what? I need you to talk to me for just a minute about the law. Okay, I'm going to talk to you for just a minute about the law. What is the law? The law is the Mosaic Covenant. It's a standard of godliness and holiness. It governs Israel's religious and civil life. Living according to its laws and terms allows the Israelites to fully appropriate God's inheritance and enjoy its blessings. So, I had one prof who'd say it short and short. He'd say, obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline, disaster, and deportation. <laughs> obedience brings blessing. Disobedience brings discipline, disaster, and deportation, which is what happened. But if they'll live according to its laws and terms, they will fully appropriate God's inheritance and enjoy its blessings. Okay? What do I need to make a nation? I need a people. Do I have a people? I, I got a people. They came out of Egypt. What else do I need? A land. I'm headed there. I need a constitution. The law is the nation's constitution governs their civil and their spiritual lives. It's an expression of God's love and grace. 
It reveals God's holy character. It reveals his standard for godly fellowship. Just in case you're wondering, Paul says, and I'm assuming here he's speaking through the Holy Spirit, it was and is good. You go read Romans 7 for a a proof of that. However, key point, it's an expression of God's will for sanctification. Present tense growth growth in holiness. I'm going to show you a chart in just a second. It's not for salvation. They didn't need salvation. They were already redeemed by grace through faith under blood. They don't need to know how to get in our terminology. They don't know how to be they don't need to know how to be saved. They're already saved. What do they need? Growth in holiness, becoming more like God. Ready for this? This is a great chart, if I do say so myself. If you think about holiness, and we're going to think about some different ways to look at this, you can break holiness up into past, present, and future. Now, in a theological concept, we would talk about the past tense being salvation. They were saved. The present tense is sanctification. What issue is already dealt with? This one. This one. What needs to be dealt with? This one. In the future, there is glorification. Salvation is a package deal. You say, what? what? I'll be reading out of the ESV because some people say, Oh, my gosh, that New Living Translation, I hate what they do with everything. Okay, I'm going to read it in the ESV. I'm going to read this for you. And these are, the, these are really scary words, but we're going to take care of them. Romans chapter 8. I know, that's the New Testament. That's okay. Romans chapter 8. Paul writes this, beginning in chapter 8, verse 29. For those whom he, meaning God, foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is justification. How does Paul refer to it in chapter 8? Past tense. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Tense that Paul uses in Romans 8. Past tense. Not present. Not future. This is a package deal. Those whom God justified... He is in the process of sanctifying to become more and more like his son. And he will glorify all those so set apart and moving forward. If you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have, by grace, through faith, under blood, you have been led out of metaphorical Egypt 
by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the blood of the Lamb, then you have a package deal from God. Your salvation is now in the past. It is a settled fact and issue. It is done. It is behind you. What is in front of you right now is your sanctification, which is the process of you becoming more and more like our Lord Jesus. Has anyone, no hands, has anyone figured out over the past, oh, week that you're not quite as much like Jesus as you might have thought last week? Anyone run across that this week? No hands, again, no hands. That is sanctification. This is what he did out here. He said, hey, guys, let me take you out in the wilderness and kind of show you what's what. They go out there and go, and he says, yeah, I see that. And I need to do something about that. What does he do with us? Same thing. We got saved. What do we need? Instruction. Instruction in what? The word of God. Why? Because we want to look more like the Lord Jesus. He says, I want to do this. I've adopted you. That's Romans 8. He's adopted you and me. Same as he adopted them. Fellowship. Why? He's adopted us because he wants to have fellowship with us. And he has an inheritance for us. Crazy. Sin. Let's think about the tenses with respect to sin. In the past, my salvation, God needed to take care of the penalty of sin. How did he do that? Through the blood, the shed blood of the spotless, perfect, the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. The penalty. Could you or I add one cent to the value he applied to paying the penalty? You just, you know, I need you to think of that. Who are you compared to Jesus? If he says, I paid it in full, why do you think you need to contribute anything toward your salvation? It is done. And he gives it to you how? By grace as a gift. For what? For faith in him. I believe in you, Lord Jesus. I have no plan B. You are my one and only Savior, and you're all I've got, and you're all I need. What do I have to deal with in the present? If the penalty is done with, what does dealing with the penalty allow me to do? Walk in the light. If there's penalty left to be paid, what do I want to do? Hide in the dark. Because if I come out in the light and have my sin exposed, God might whack me. And so now we're back into the retribution principle which isn't true, right? The penalty is taken care of so I can stand in the light and I say, Daddy, I did it again. He says, yes, you did. Now, am I going, <laughs> no. He says, let's get to work on changing that. The penalty is already paid. There's no more left to be paid. I can stand and walk in the light and therefore, I'm working against the power of sin in my life. I don't know about you. Sin continues to pull on me. I've acknowledged before, I'm in this class, the only sinner who's in here. Sin continues to work and pull on me like gravity. What have I been given to fight 
the power of sin in my life? Think carefully. The Holy Spirit. Most Christians believe, well, I guess God has just now somehow made me stronger. And where I used to fall to sin in the past, I won't now because I'm a Christian. Wrong, wrong, wrong. You have never been empowered to beat sin. Your flesh cannot be empowered to beat sin. There is only one person who has ever beaten sin, and that is the Holy Spirit of God. And unless you allow his power in you to defeat the sin, you will continue to lose to its power. Because you didn't just become magically stronger like Superman. (laughs) I'm now strong because I'm in Christ and I can defeat this sin. And I can do it all by myself. No, 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 you can't, you can't, you'll lose. You aren't equipped. You don't have what it takes. We'll talk about that later. That's a little preview. Okay. Sorry, Cody's already preached today. I'm getting going. Presence in the future. Wonderful, blessed God. There is no more sin in heaven. One day, the thoughts and words and actions that I struggle with will no longer be a problem because sin will be removed. That's why we're looking forward to going home. Paul says, you know, it's better for me if I go home. But if it's better for you that I stay, I'll stay. But I'm telling you, here's what I don't want anymore. I don't want sin, and I don't want to battle sin anymore. So many of us say, yeah, frankly, I want the best of both worlds. I want to have the best of heaven, and I want to have the best of the earth. And I can be a friend with the world. And Cody talked about that today. God does not feel or take kindly to us being friends with the world and being his adopted children. It doesn't match up for him, and it shouldn't match up for us. What does it mean in terms of holiness? What holiness means is it is set apart. Something is set apart. So if you will, someone stronger or in a position has set something apart for holy use. I have been positionally made holy. That's why God in the New Testament can say, I am holy. Bill is holy. Is Bill holy because he's lived a great life? No. (laughs) Why is Bill holy? Because God said he is. Because God made it so in his accounting. It's not because of anything I've done. It's because of what he's done. In the present, sometimes... We're told to continue to press on to holiness because there is a progressive aspect toward this. Ultimately, I will be completely and totally set apart for God in heaven. I'll never think of having another independent thought from him, an independent word, an independent action. If this doesn't make you hungry for heaven, again, there's the door. I, I don't know what to do with you. This is what should motivate us. If you, if these things are true of you, this is done. This is where we're living. This is what is yet to come. Dealt with, done, never to be brought up again. I'm not going to stand in front of the Lord and he goes, gosh, I thought I covered 100 sins, but you got 101. Shoot. What am I going to (laughs) do? Stupid. 
the penalty of sin has been completely and totally taken care of forever and ever. Amen. Why? Not because of anything you did, but because of the power of the one who did it and the power of his blood. That is the only reason. That is our only hope. Some of you have heard this before. This is great. I was back in Sacramento and there was a, an, an older, mature saint who was the pastor there for like 30 years. And he learned I was going to the same seminary he was. And so he, I walked alongside him one day because he, he was retired. And uh, um, we're ask, I'm asking him some questions. And, and he stops and he looks at me and he says, uh, he says, son, where are your sins? Well, sir, they're covered by the blood of Jesus. I'm waiting for the pat on my back. And he says to me, I am so sorry. For yet your sins remain on you. He said, my Savior came to take away the sins of the world. So that they are no longer on you, but on him. Selah. And he walked away. A powerful lesson. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, (laughs) including mine. And where did he place it? On himself. It is no longer on me. When I stand before him, I stand as one for whom the penalty has been paid in full. Not one cent of debt remains. Not one. Well, what about that thing I did? Done. But what about? Done. Done. And how far does he separate our sins from us, says the psalmist? As far as the east is from the west. And he buries them into the sea How does God forget anything? I don't know, but he says he forgets our sins. (laughs) You need have no fear of standing in front of the Lord Jesus with regard to the penalty of your sin. Me either. Praise be to Jesus. Where am I today? battling against this, and I have no ability in myself. It's all in the Holy Spirit. But one day, it's going to be gone. Where am I right now? Positionally, I am holy, because that's what he has declared me to be. Is that how I view myself? Uh, Not really. (laughs) Not really. But does that matter? but I want to continue to make progress in holiness. Why? Because this is the whole reason he adopted me. He adopted me so that I would become like him. Not just, woohoo! I got fire insurance. I can go live however I want. No, that's the lesson for tonight. Freedom and fulfillment isn't found living any way you want. It's found in obeying the word of God. Who knew that? Jesus. How did he live his life? Hmm. Exactly like that. What does he want from us? To follow in Jesus' footsteps. Ultimately, I will be glorified. The presence of sin will be removed entirely, and I will be ultimately, finally, fully set apart 
for him, for his good pleasure and his use. This is the package deal. They couldn't understand. There's just not enough history gone by yet. But this is what we can understand and say amen and offer worship in spirit and in truth for what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Wow. Okay, we've spent a lot of time talking about this excursus. Where does this fit in all of those covenants, Bill? You said Abrahamic covenant. There were three other covenants. Thank you for remembering there are three other covenants, the Palestinian covenant, the Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. The land is amplified a bit in the Palestinian covenant. The Davidic covenant hits the seed promise again, and the new covenant hits the blessing. What is the old covenant? What is the Mosaic covenant about? It's not about redemption. Have I made that point? It's not about redemption. It's not about salvation. It's about sanctification. God says he's going to bless those who obey it. That is a That's a blessing. It's a bl- I've coached you so well to not say anything. You didn't say anything. It's a blessing. Now, this covenant, you go, "Bill, this is just craziness." Okay, go seriously. We're going to need like two hours tonight. Okay, Jeremiah chapter 31. Now I'm going to tell you Jeremiah 31. You're going to go look it up later. Jeremiah 31 is the new covenant. And God tells Jeremiah, I am going to replace the covenant I made with Israel with a new covenant. What's the one he's talking about? This one. What's he going to replace it with? What we celebrate once a month. This is the new covenant. What Jesus did for us was bring us the blessings of the new covenant. What are they? A new mind, a new heart, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the forgiveness forgiveness of sin. It's in Jeremiah 31. A new mind, a new heart, the indwelling Holy Spirit, and the forgiveness of sin. Is that what you've received? Yes, because Jesus cut the new covenant. What did he use? His own blood to cut it. And it replaced this. Oh, what? Yes. So in the Old Testament, God is showing them, obey and I will bless you. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. We've talked about this before. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I hear no pages turning. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians, yeah, you're in Jeremiah. (laughs) Yeah, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. I got it. I'm in the mic. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. What just got flipped on its head? The old covenant says obey and be blessed. 
What does Ephesians 1.3 just say? You're blessed, therefore obey. God just flipped this on its head. Here he's teaching them, obey and be blessed. Guess what they struggled to do? Obey. <laughs> obey and be blessed. Brr, struggle, struggle, struggle. He says, tell you what I'm going to do, which, of course, he knew before time began. I'm going to bless you. Now go obey. He turns it all upside down. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has, remember, past perfect, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Why? Because we are good people. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Because we are united with Christ. You have already received. What, what blessings could you imagine would accrue to the Lord Jesus? Could you imagine any spiritual blessings accruing to the Lord Jesus? I could imagine a few hundred. Those are already in your bank account. And he gave you a checkbook. And he says, write a check on it. I'll cash it. It's, on, it's in your account Already there. The Lord Jesus, when he signed your pardon, he signed you onto his bank account of spiritual blessings. And how many does he have? Every. I'm surprised. I, I, who's not? Is anyone ready to jump up and just go, Are you kidding me? Oh, this is such great stuff. Well, you'll get it tonight. You'll wake up tonight and go, I get it, I get it. Oh, this is so good. Okay, how does it fit in? Here's where it fits in. Here's where the Mosaic Covenant fits in because God wants to bless them. Who wants to curse them? Satan. As Cody said today, Satan is always about getting in between and disunifying. What is God doing? Unifying, bringing life, bringing blessing. This is who God is and what he does. He wants to bless his people. So he says, I'm going to adopt you and I'm going to bless you. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the blessings. If you, Israel, will walk in obedience to my covenant, then you will enjoy all the freedom and fullness of your unique relationship with me. I'll make you my unique representatives. I'll make you a holy priesthood in the world. And they'll live out uniquely fulfilling and holy lives as his adopted heirs. You could highlight all that too. Because all of that has been given to you. Because of Christ Jesus. But that's later. Here we go. Bottom line. Don't forget this if you forget everything else from tonight. True freedom and fulfillment aren't found through living any way you want in spite of what our culture and some Christians will tell you, they're only found through obeying God's word. True freedom and fulfillment aren't found through living any way you want. They're only found through obeying God's word. I'm going to zoom through the outline because we've talked about it a lot. Here's the overall outline for 19 through 24. This, these are humongous chapters in the Bible. I mean, humongous. Genesis 12 and 15 are gigantic. Especially Exodus chapter 20. Big. Exodus chapter 40. 
big, big, big out of all the chapters of the Bible, which are all great, there are certain that are, they're just like mountains in the biblical landscape. 19 through 24, there's this little mountain range. The covenant is offered. So he gives them the 10 words. Israel is afraid. There's the book of the covenant. The covenant gets accepted, and then Moses and Joshua receive the covenant inscribed on stone tablets. So let me take this apart just real quickly. So the covenant is offered. Yahweh announces the covenant. The people prepare themselves to assemble before him, and he's teaching them, always teaching them, teaching them concepts at the mountain. He's teaching them about his holiness and perhaps their lack of it, purity, separation from defilement or uncleanness, and the need for mediation. Remember, they stood at the base and they said, ah, we don't want to even hear his voice anymore. Moses, you go. (laughs) You go stand in the gap. And so Moses goes and stands in the gap between God and the people, the need for mediation. Does that strike you as a funny New Testament thing also? Should, okay. Holiness, purity, separation from defilement or uncleanness, mediation. He offers the covenant in the form of a suzerain-vassal treaty. The suzerain is the king, the vassal is the, um, usually the conquered one or the liberated one, as it is in this case. So, for instance, if I said to you, uh, beloved, we're gathered here today in the sight of God and these witnesses to join, would you know what I'm about to go into? So there's a form that you would recognize by the words. There's a form that Israel would have recognized in its day as soon as these things started coming out of God's mouth this way, they would have recognized this is a suzerain vassal treaty. And here's the pieces of that treaty uh, listed right there. And all but Leviticus 26, with the curses, uh, the curses and blessings are enumerated in Leviticus 26, except for that, all of the components of the treaty are put in place right here in um, these few chapters. So the covenant is offered. The ten words, they're based on who Yahweh is and what he's done in bringing his people out of Egypt. He reminds them, these are my ten commandments, not ten suggestions. They cover religion, worship, reverence, time, authority, life, purity, property, tongue, and contentment, according to one of my profs, Dr. John Hanna. And I think, did you include that in the handout, honey, those ten things? Yeah, those are. I love looking at them that way. So that's the Decalogue. Israel stands in fear. They stood at a distance. They gained perspective. They're entering into a privileged relationship. These are requirements for fellowship and blessing. They must come with an attitude of reverence. Their relationship comes with accountability. So back up. If that was true then, (laughs) how should that characterize our relationship with the Lord today? Just an added bonus for you to think about that. 
if that's what they received and what we received is better than what they received, how these should also define our attitude toward the Lord. So they stood in fear. You know, you know what the word, um, you know, the fear, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This is the fear that's described in the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's that reverential awe. He is God and I am not. And so they stood fear, fearing him, reverentially in awe of him. So when you think, what is the fear of the Lord as the beginning of wisdom? Here it is. What's happening right here at the mountain. This is the fear of the Lord. He offers the book of the covenant, which covers proper use of altars, treatment of servants, compensation for personal injury, protecting personal property, respecting your fellow man, dispensing justice, celebrating three annual feasts, and growing into their inheritance. I didn't make that up. There it is. Inheritance. Remember what he said about the land? I'm only going to give it to you a little bit at a time, otherwise the wild animals are going to tear you up. Okay, we'll get to that later. I think that's actually in Deuteronomy, but you probably remember that from somewhere. The covenant is accepted. So the covenant is offered, which includes the ten words and the whole book of the covenant, which takes a few chapters to cover. The covenant is accepted and an oath of allegiance is taken. And a solemn ceremony is observed. This is a formal transaction. God said, I am offering you this treaty, a suzerain vassal treaty. I will be your suzerain. You will be my vassal. I will do these things for you. You will do these things for me. Do we have an agreement? Israel says, we have an agreement. They take an oath. They have a solemn ceremony. The covenant is accepted, and now Moses and Joshua receive the quote-unquote signed covenant inscribed on stone tablets by whom? God, the finger of God. God signed, as it were, these stone tablets. Some summary thoughts. Mount Sinai is the place of adoption. So we've talked about here's redemption, They go now to be adopted, being prepared to have fellowship with God, and go to get their inheritance. Yahweh has entered into a special, formal covenant relationship with those he redeemed from Egypt. It was ratified by blood on the altar. It was celebrated by a covenant meal. It requires their obedience for blessing. Point. True freedom and fulfillment aren't found through living any way you want, Israel, Christian. They're only found through obeying God's word. God's word, God was making his word central to their relationship, to their freedom, to their fulfillment, to their walk with him. Nothing has changed. Some 3,400 years hence. You say, well, what are some of the freedoms for the obedient? The freedom of a clear conscience before God and men. 
You know what a clear conscience is worth? The freedom. What are the freedoms that someone who puts God's word right at the heart and right at the center of how they live their life, what do they have? have the freedom of a clear conscience before God and men. The freedom of a clear life purpose. John 17, 3. Is this one of the ones you've got memorized? And this is eternal life. That you know the one true God, Jesus Christ, whom he sent. You, Christian, and I have a very clear life purpose It comes with a promise. This is eternal life. I don't have to wait for this. I get it now. To know the one true God and Jesus Christ whom he sent. How do I get to know him? Chiefly. Through the word of God. He says, you want to know about me? Read about me. Talk to me about it. I'll talk to you about it. You want to know me? You want to know my son? It's right here. I went to the trouble of writing it down and making sure you could always look at it. And by the way, not one jot or tittle of it is going to go away even into eternity. Whoa. You and I have something the unbelieving world does not have, and that is purpose. I have the freedom to know that my ordinary life can serve as a powerful witness to those who don't believe. You can go look up those verses in Peter. I have the freedom of knowing that I can have answered prayer. How coincidental. I had no idea when I put this lesson together that Cody was going to preach on prayer. Huh, isn't that strange? The freedom of knowing we will have answered prayer prayer. What do I get freedom from? If that's what I get freedom, that's what the freedom for me, what do I get freedom from? Some things. The burden of having to strive to earn or keep your own salvation. Do you know people who struggle under this burden? I hope there's no one in this room, especially after the lecture and preaching a sermon that was delivered so fiery, robustly earlier. I hope there's no one who struggles with that. But there are people all around you who struggle with this. But there's freedom from this burden. Where? In the word of God. Freedom from the burden of having to strive to achieve your own success. I love these two verses. So let me turn. Gosh, we need more time. We need more time. We need more time. Psalm 32. These are going to become two of your most favorite verses. Trust me. Psalm 32. Psalm 32, verses 8 and 9. The Lord says, okay, who is speaking? <laughs> The Lord. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. 
Who, is t- who has and is taking a vested interest in me, my current life, and my future? The Lord. The Lord says, I will guide you. Al- Who's going to guide? Circle the I. It's, it's not I, it's him, I. I will guide you along the what pathway? A pretty good pathway? An acceptable pathway? One that's not terrible? The best pathway for your life. Everything that happens to you. You might call it good, you might call it bad. This is God's best pathway for your life. And if there would be a better path, he would have you on it. You are set apart for his use. He says, I will put you on the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. And then he has this strange little thing. Do not be like a senseless horse or mule that needs a bit and bridle to keep it under control. (laughs) What does that have anything to do with the best pathway for my life? Oh, everything. What does a senseless horse do? Runs wild. Runs ahead. Is not tamed. What does a, a mule do? Stubborn and doesn't move at all. So I got one side, don't run ahead of me, and don't drag your feet. Walk with me. Bill, I've got you on the best pathway for your life. Walk with me. Quit trying to run ahead. You're not God. You don't know where I'm taking you. But I've said I'm taking you on the best pathway for your life. Don't be like a senseless horse and run ahead. And don't be like a mule and go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Come on. Follow me, Bill. Follow me. And if you're too fast or too slow, I have a tool available to me that I will fit to you until you learn a little bit better, a bit and bridle. Bill, trust me, you don't want that in your mouth. So don't run ahead and don't lag behind. Just walk with me. I am taking you on the best pathway for your life. Amazing. I don't have the burden of having to strive to achieve my own success. My success doesn't matter. Whose success matters? The Lord's. I'm not here to make my name famous. I'm here to make his name famous. And he's got me on the best pathway for my life. I'm free from the burden of having to strive to establish my own significance. Whoa, baby. Anybody struggle with their significance? The Lord has something to say to you tonight. Matthew 11, 11. How about I have freedom from the burden of having to strive to provide for my own security? The Lord would have something to say to me or to say to you if that's the situation you find yourself in. Remember when he's talking to the people and he says, I tell you, not even Solomon. Uh, or not even, you know, Solomon dressed in all of his splendor was arrayed like these. Why do you worry? Don't I know what you need? Don't I know you need food? Don't I know that? 
Am I not a good father? But daddy, my... Bill, is anything too hard for me? No, daddy. I know you love me. Thank you for loving me. I can trust you and I can rest. I'm free from the burdens that Gentiles have in spades. How about me? How about you? Is there somewhere you're not experiencing true freedom and its joy? Are you still struggling over matters of your salvation, success, significance, or security? How about matters of conscience? Anything you're still struggling with? The scriptures have an answer. Is there somewhere you're not experiencing true fulfillment? Perhaps you feel purposelessness. You have a purpose. You have a general purpose. You'll have a specific purpose. We'll get to that in later books. It all comes back to this. What do I need to obey this week? I'm already blessed. So he asks me to obey. He says, you want freedom? You want fulfillment? You want joy? Right here. Right here, Bill. Just walk according to this. Don't run ahead. Don't run behind. Just read it. Believe it. Do it. I got you. I got you. What do you, what do I need to obey this week? For next time, next time, not next week, because we're not meeting next week. For next time, finish Exodus 25 through 40. I'll give you a heads up for those of you who you're like, I think I know what that's about. It's about the furniture and the tabernacle. You are going to be tempted to put the pages in front of a fan and let the fan turn the pages. And you're going to say to me, I read it, Bill. You didn't. You have two weeks. Read those chapters. Uh, You may think they're dull and boring, but I hope to shed some light on them. And I think you'll say, oh, my goodness, I'm glad I did. So do that. Let me pray for us, and uh, we'll be on our way for this evening. Father, you're so, so kind and loving, uh, generous, gracious to us. Uh, You put your word together, and you put these little pictures for us in the Old Testament. And then through your son, we're able to look back and see the greater fulfillment um, that you have done, but how you've always been teaching your people these key, key things, and how you redeem us from from bondage and slavery under a Pharaoh who hated us and who wanted nothing but harm for us, how you redeem us from that, how you draw us to yourself and adopt us and want fellowship with us and you say, I have an inheritance for you, not just later, but even for now. And it's just, it's so unbelievably amazing. We can just say, we worship you. We have no other God in heaven. We pray to no one else but you. We thank you for, for some reason, setting your heart and affections on us and calling us to yourself to believe in the Lord Jesus. Thank you. I pray tonight you continue to have just the spirit of your word sink deeper and deeper into our minds and our hearts 
and our words and our actions. Transform us. Make us more like Jesus. We want it. Uh, We confess to you. There are times we're lukewarm. We confess to you the times when we are like mules. We confess to you the times we're like wild horses and we just run ahead. Uh, Thank you for your faithful, faithful love for us. Uh, We love you. And would you do, continue to do a great work uh, in each of us, not for our fame, but for yours. Would you do that, please, even these next two weeks? And we ask you and pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen.